0: Revelation Church, I'm going to go off script a little bit here because that last song, Amazing God, goes right into what we're talking about today, just the ability of God to meet our needs, to carry the burden of every heavy heart, and I hope that's an encouragement to you guys this morning because I know, I'll confess, this last week has been pretty rough. It was a hard week. But God is faithful, and it's amazing. So, with that, amen. Um, Today we're going to be looking at a story that you're probably pretty familiar with. You might remember sitting in Sunday school while the teacher is talking and throwing figurines up on the felt board. If you know anything about Jesus heard anything about him, chances are you've heard this story. It's a pretty popular story. It's the miraculous story of the feeding of the 5,000. This is the only miracle, other than the resurrection, that is reported in all four Gospels. It's a miracle of great proportion. I venture to even say epic proportion. With women... The record uh, involves the feeding of 5,000 men, but if you include women and children, the estimates are as high as 25,000. So we'll be looking at the story. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, starting in verse 13, which is where we'll be this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. It's on page 869. But before we begin, I'd like to point out that I've kind of been throwing around a word. And the word is miracle. I think that's a funny word. We like to throw it around in different contexts. You might have heard it in a story from a missionary. You might recall the story about Ben Carson when he was attending Yale and he was in his chemistry class and not doing well. So ultimately, it came down to the last test, final exam, in order, and he had to pass it in order to continue on. And for you that are in the medical field, you know that chemistry is a requirement. And Ben had a dream of continuing on into the medical field. So he said, A prayer and ask God for help. And for whatever reason, he fell asleep instead of studying. When he woke up, or while he was dreaming actually, there was an undistinguished figure that was writing problems on the chalkboard, which is kind of weird, but he wakes up, goes to class, sits down to take his final exam, reads the first question, And it's exactly the first question in the dream. Goes to the next question, same thing. So it goes through the whole test and answers each question perfectly. As I tell you this story, my skeptical antennas go up. I wonder, is this true? Is this for real? Is Ben making up a story for financial gain, political gain? It's hard to say. However, there are two spectrums when we talk about miracles. There's the skeptical, like myself, or you might see miracles everywhere. For example, I found my car car keys. What a miracle. I got that front row parking spot. What a miracle. The McRib is back. What a miracle. Can we all agree that the meat itself is a miracle? All right? when you think about miracles and you think about what happens in this story, I think it's pretty amazing. Because when Jesus is breaking the bread and breaking the fish and presenting it to the people, he is multiplying the physical bread, the physical fish. So in other words, it's like a new creation. The only other time that I know of that there's something created out of nothing would be back in Genesis. So I think as you go through this story, just be thinking about that. Like, what exactly is Jesus doing in this situation? It's pretty amazing. But I think we should have a pretty robust understanding of what constitutes a miracle. So philosopher Richard Fertel's definition of the miracle is this: A miracle is an event that is brought about by the power of God, that is, temporary, that is a temporary exception to the ordinary course of nature for the purpose of showing that God is acting in history. So exactly what we see today in this story. Jesus is acting. He's working outside the bounds of what we understand. Because when we use science, there's expectations. We expect to encounter the effects of gravity. However, a miracle can suspend those expectations. But why? And how do we reconcile that? Tim Keller provides a great quote about how we can come to terms with miracles, but only after we understand God. His quote is, There is nothing illogical about miracles if a creator God exists. If a God exists who is big enough to create the universe in all its complexity and vastness, why should a mere miracle be such a mental stretch? To prove that miracles could not happen, you would have to know beyond a doubt that God does not exist. But that is not something anyone can prove. First off, this statement stands on the assumption that God exists. So if you're struggling with whether God exists or not, I and a handful of other people would love to talk with you. But if God is powerful enough to create a universe, then why do we struggle so much with miracles? I think it comes down to a perspective. I like this quote because God created the universe all time and matter. Therefore, he has the power to manipulate it for his glory, which is the essence of a miracle. In this account, I think Jesus is using a miracle to convey a much bigger story. Therefore, I'd like to divide it up into three different sections. First, Jesus provides his power to meet our needs. Second... Jesus provides perspective to bring us into right standing with him. And then finally, Jesus provides a real solution to our situation. So now that we get into our story, starting in verse 13. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So if you remember from our story last week, and Jesus has a need in this situation. He needs to avoid Herod. Herod had started to hear about Jesus' superpowers, and that means that Jesus would have more power than Herod, which in Herod's pettiness would make Jesus a threat. And if you recall, John the Baptist was a threat, and Herod had him killed. So therefore, Jesus is a threat, and he needs to avoid Herod. Jesus, in his all-sufficient knowledge, knows this, and he avoids Herod. Jesus isn't leaving because he's scared of Herod. He knows that dying now wouldn't complete his mission. Is this wrestling here? All right. But as we look at the verses here, we notice that Jesus recognizes a need with the people. He has compassion on them. And he takes care of the needs of the people. He has the power to do that. First, he meets the spiritual needs. In Luke's account... Jesus is also talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is ushering in God's restoration plan. He has a plan to restore life back to the way it was designed to be, humans in perfect harmony with God. However, people by nature are broken because of sin. But Jesus has arrived to change that. Besides meeting the spiritual needs, he also meets the physical needs by healing the people. Jesus' plan is restoration, and miracles are a small glimpse of the world to come. So, like I already said, Jesus has the power to meet the needs of the people. Another quick quote by Tim Keller he uh, presents miracles in a different light by saying, we modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretastes of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. So Jesus has a plan, and he's going to use miracles to do that. He's going to restore everything back to its right order. And that should be a promise to our hearts. Do you think the disciples understand the plan? Let's go to verse 15. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Nope. They had an opportunity and they let it pass by. Kudos to the disciples for noticing the need and telling Jesus. But they didn't do anything about it, which I find kind of interesting. Because if you go with me back to Matthew 10, starting in verse 5, we read the story about Jesus sending the apostles away. Jesus sent these 12 after giving them instructions. Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely you give. So the story that we're reading, if you look at the other accounts in the other Gospels, it talks about part of the other reason that Jesus needed to get away is that the disciples had just come back from the mission that we just described. So he wanted to get away with his disciples for rest and teaching. So they were in a situation where they have provided healing for people, cast out Demons. They've also seen Jesus perform multiple miracles up to this point. There's healing, the healing of the withered hand, Matthew 12. Multiple healings in Matthew 9. He drove out demons of the mute man in Matthew 9. So they've seen Jesus at work trying to restore, working to restore his kingdom. But yet they still didn't get it. Even after all those miracles they witnessed. Instead, the disciples offered an option in their own strength. Send the people away. Let them deal with it. Now, before we beat them up too much, think about a time when God has provided for you over and over in the same situation. I think of the time for Alyssa and I in which we've struggled from time to time with finances And we've had situations where God has literally provided a raise just enough to cover a new bill. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I still struggle with this. Even though God has shown up repeatedly over and over and over again, I still miss it. But God has met our needs And he's grown our faith in the process. So I want this to be an encouragement to you this morning. God will meet your needs. I'll say it again. God will meet your needs. Before you throw me off the stage for preaching a prosperity gospel, hear hear this. It may not be the physical solution that we want. Instead, it could be our spiritual growth that he's trying to accomplish, our faith. He is trying to grow that through the hard times. You can go back to the book of James. We're going through that in our community groups. It's all about that growth in faith, steadfastness in faith through those trials. Why is faith important? Because we're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8 like I talked about earlier this morning in regards to this week, we might have situations where the craziness of this world is just swirling around us. I kind of put it into three different components. We have like our work, we have our spiritual life, and we have our personal life. If one of those are out of balance, we can usually manage But if two or all three are out of balance, it can get very crazy. But in that craziness, God wants us to turn to him. He calls us to trust him. I know this might be an oversimplification, but our ultimate need is met in the action of Jesus, his death and resurrection. So no matter what happens in this life, if we trust God, we have eternal life, which should put everything in perspective. We have salvation, people. Amen? If you're looking for some perspective, the book of Job would be a great study to provide some perspective. He goes through so much, but in the end, God is faithful. But that perspective that God wants us to have only comes through the challenges. And in the story, Jesus presents a challenge to the disciples. How are we going to feed these people? Verse 16. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them, you give them something to eat. I love that line. You give them something But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them to me, he said. So Jesus brings the disciples to the realization that they have no real solution. The disciples have no idea what to do. We have some bread, we have some fish. Just kind of throw it out there. Don't really expect anything. I know we might do that from time to time. Here might be an option, but it's not really a good option. They have no real solution, which is where we find ourselves when we encounter Jesus. We are broken. We are destitute. No way to reconcile our need for a Savior. No real option. This is the best part. We're in... We've ran out of options, and it should actually be exciting to us. Instead, we tend to worry, fear. But this is the time in which God can work. God has to act in this situation. So it's, going back to our story, that's exactly what Jesus does. In verse 19... Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who were about 5,000 men besides women and children... So Jesus has the power. Jesus has provided the perspective of where we stand, and now he provides the solution. We see this in hindsight all throughout Scripture. Everything is pointing to Jesus. Go with me back to Exodus 16. It's the second book of the Bible right after Genesis. And what we'll see here is The Israelites are wandering through the desert, wanting some food. And if you look in chapter 16, verse 13. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as the frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? because they did not know what it was. Moses told them, It is the bread of the Lord has given you to eat. That is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much, as, as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual, according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did uh, this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. When they measured it by quarts, the people who gathered a lot had no surplus. The people who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, No one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. Therefore Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning each gathered as much as needed to eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So you see here, God provides for the Israelite people. He meets their needs, but it's on a daily basis. The Jewish people are fed by manna, which literally means bread from heaven. It's something material. It's temporal You can probably think of something else from the Old Testament as well that meets that criteria. The animal sacrifices, they're material. They're not meant to last. However, Jesus claims himself to be the bread of life. Let's go to John 6. starting in uh, 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there. They got into their boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are not looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't... Give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So Jesus proves himself to be the true bread from heaven, something eternal, which ultimately, speaking about the sacrifices, is completed on the cross as the final sacrifice. So you take something from material, temporal, and you go to something that's everlasting, eternal. And we see this in Luke 22 Verse 19, this might be pretty familiar to you as well. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So just like in the story that we're reading, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus broke the bread. He broke the bread at at communion or at the Lord's Supper, which all pointed toward his body being broken on the cross. And that provides the ultimate solution to our need. And with that need met, Jesus calls us to take part in his restoration plan. If you go to verse 20... Of our story, everyone was ate and was satisfied. They picked up twelve baskets full of leftover pieces. Excuse me, sorry. Uh, going back to verse 20 or 19. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. So Jesus breaks the bread and he provides it to the disciples. The disciples are then the ones that deliver it to the people. So it's Jesus including the disciples in the process of meeting the needs of the people. Just like we are included in taking the bread of life, Jesus, to the people that we interact with. So really, what should our reaction to this be? Well, let's flip over to Psalms 107. And looking at verse 8 and 9. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. For he has satisfied the thirsty and filled the hungry with good thanks. Or good things. We should give thanks because our need is complete. Just as the people in the story all ate and were satisfied, even beyond need. There's 12 baskets left over. There is an abundance in Christ as you look at this story. I think there's something to be said about that. Even more beyond what we need, we have salvation. Let me say it again. We do have salvation. That is the ultimate need. And everything else is gravy. So as we close, I just want you to see how Jesus has the power to meet your needs. He wants you to be in a place to recognize that. And when you do, Great things are going to happen. may not necessarily be what we expect. Doesn't mean we don't pray for it. But great things are going to happen. And I look forward to the day when we are in heaven and we get that true perspective where we're able to sit back and look at what has happened in our lives and gain the perspective of God to see how he has met our needs in amazing ways. And as we come to a time of communion, which is a time for Christians to remember the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus, his body broken in the bread, and his blood in the wine or the juice, whichever is your preference, I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, The feeding of the 5,000 was a communal act, the Lord's Supper was done in a group so what I want to do is encourage you guys to take communion in groups and during this time I want it to be a time of encouragement thinking about the abundance of Christ which is one of the reasons really that we come together as a church body we come to encourage and lift up each other so if you're feeling bad down I hope this encourages you But as you get into groups, pray a prayer of thankfulness to Jesus for meeting your ultimate need, a Savior. As we read in Psalms 107, share a story about how God has met your need or needs. You guys can decide how to break up. And please don't feel like you have to do this. But I would encourage you to take part in it because I believe there's power in community. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your ability to, and willingness to meet our ultimate need, which is found in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. And I know that a lot of words were said this morning. And I just pray that whatever is not of you, that it would fall away. And that your Holy Spirit would take what is true, what is right, what is of you. And apply it to our hearts, Lord. That we may continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding of who you are. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.